0: Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. Hello, he's back.
1: So happy to be back.
0: He's back. They let you out, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, for like a couple weeks and then I got to go back. Right,
0: right, right, right. The guy's still outside the door. (laughs) Perfect. Folks, uh, this is science for people like you who give a shit. Uh, We give you the tools you need to fight for a better future for yourself, for everyone, the context straight from the smartest people on earth. Uh, that's not us, to not be clear. Not us, to be very And the clear. action steps, specific, data-driven, measurable stuff you can take to feel better and to support them.
1: That is right. Our guests are scientists, doctors, mm-hmm. nurses, journalists, engineers, farmers, politicians, activists, educators, business leaders, astronauts. We had a reverend. I could go
0: on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're great people. Um, and we're so thankful they spend their time with us every single day week. Folks, uh, before we get to it, this is your friendly reminder. uh, A few things. You can send questions, thoughts, feedback, love notes to us on Twitter at ImportantNotImp, all out of characters there. Or you can email us at questions at ImportantNotImportant.com. You can also keep up with the uh, weekly science news, analysis, and action steps uh, with tens of thousands other amazing people uh, at our free weekly newsletter. That's Right at ImportantNotImportant.com.
1: Well yep. said. You're welcome. This week's episode, uh-huh. explaining why we can crush fossil fuel advertising
0: and what you can do to help. That's right. It's That's a big right. one. Um, it's super fun to just respond to the uh, American Petroleum Institute on Twitter all the time with yep. memes. That's, I would say, <laughs> half my job description at this point. It's a delight. Thank you, Mary Heglar. But there's also formal things you can do Uh, uh, that are fantastic. And we learned so much today from two gentlemen, uh, Jarell Clay and Jamie Henn. They are among the many awesome humans fighting this fight from the inside out uh, and helping to stop greenwashing where it stands.
1: It was a really great conversation. I was a huge fan of both of them.
0: Yeah, if we could take two things from this conversation, I would say everyone has a role to play. And folks, if you have a suggestion for an instrument that Brian can pick up quickly, right. we would really appreciate it and you will understand why. Something he like harmonica. It. We need it. Uh, you know, is pretty tough. Or um, the instrument
1: that you play without touching.
0: Okay. We're just going to get to the conversation.
1: Let's but listen to uh, the episode. Please
0: send us some feedback. We'd appreciate it. Uh, that's it. Let's get into it. Here we go. All right. Our guests today are Jarrell Clay and Jamie Henn, and together we're going to help folks understand uh, how to stop fossil fuel advertising, because we can't uh, just focus on the supply side. We can't just focus on the demand side. As with all things we talk about here, it is the kitchen sink method, and uh, advertising and marketing is a huge part of that, kind of like it was with cigarettes. Uh, Jarrell and Jamie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having us. Great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yes. Uh, all right.
1: Uh, gentlemen, how's about a uh, quick intro of each of you? Uh, just re-
2: real quick, who you are and, and what you do. Sure. So I'm Jarrell Clay, uh, daytime job, digital director at Hip Hop Caucus. Uh, Hip Hop Caucus is a national nonprofit focused on fighting the climate crisis while also um, having a little fun doing it, tackling um, racial justice along the way as well. Um, by night, you can catch me at uh, either a jazz club as the world opens up, playing alto sax, or take my uh, son somewhere to run around and burn through energy before eight o'clock when he goes to sleep. <laughs> um, that's a little bit about me.
0: <laughs> Sounds about right. That's wonderful. Wait, does, do those two things ever coincide? Does he uh, uh, does he ever come to the jazz club and 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 pick up like a I, tenor sax? I would or save a lot like of that? money
2: on daycare and babysitting.
3: <laughs> if that was the case. But no, I wish. One day, I man. Wish.
2: Wow.
3: Family
0: band. We'll get there. We'll get there.
3: That's Jamie, okay. you're up. Yeah, there you go. Um, so my name is Jamie Henn. I am the director of Fossil Free Media, which is a nonprofit communications lab that supports groups who are taking on the fossil fuel industry. So that means we provide PR support. We help design websites. We help do videos. And we help run some of our own campaigns that are focused on trying to disrupt the fossil fuel industry's ability to dominate our media and communications and political landscape, which is why we've been running this campaign, Clean Creatives, um, which is going after the PR and ad firms that work with the fossil fuel industry to spread climate misinformation. Um, And at night, you can find me, uh, say the same thing. trying to play, yeah. trying to play a ukulele, uh, to my two month old, which she won't go to bed. Yes. So Jarrell, if you ever need a backing ukulele, you know, you know where to hit me <laughs> up, man. Uh, I'm ready.
0: This is exciting. Where, uh, on the spectrum of one to 10 are your ukulele skills? Are we, are we like, is it enough for a two month old or is it not appreciated in its time?
3: Uh, you know, my, I'll, I'll say my, my two month old can't talk back, but she seems to appreciate it. My wife, can talk back and seems not to appreciate it. Okay, so that, 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 that clarifies that somewhere.
0: Joel, I assume uh, that the fact that you're led into jazz clubs mean that your skills are above it, that just when it comes to Quite, alto quite sex. a bit,
2: but I do I I am enjoying this <laughs> clean creatives band that we're forming here. We have to see what Duncan can contribute to it. Yes. This is
0: fantastic. i played percussion go. for like 20 years, but among the things that you're not allowed to do anymore when you have three children sleeping in the house is percussion. Brian, do you, do you bring anything to the table? I was
1: just going to say, the listening audience must be wondering what does Quinn play for his children before they go to bed? The
0: answer is melatonin, but, but, for, but other melatonin, than that. Yes, 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 so, yes, yes.
1: I don't. I don't. I. Ha- I have no answer. I have no children. I have no music to play for anybody. <laughs> no, that sounds sadder than it is. Well, is
0: it uh, perfect? Great. Well, we'll we'll work on that. Any ideas, uh, folks? If you have ideas for things Brian can pick up easily to contribute to oh the. God! Uh, here we go. The uh, Clean Creative's family band. It would be great. Going on tour. Uh-huh. We're, we're moving along. Opening back up. Uh, <laughs> Jarrell and Jamie. We like to start with one important question, instead of. What is your life story? As fascinating as those uh, may be, we'd like to ask, and if each of you could answer, if you could be bold and honest, why are you vital to the survival of the species?
3: Wow, I can take this one first. I mean I think I think the answer is probably I'm not. Uh, but uh, in part because I just was able to take a month off from work doing climate to, to be with that two month old I mentioned and the world seemed to keep on spinning when I was just staring into <laughs> a baby's eyes. Um, but if I if I had to think about my contribution, I would say it might be my sort of undying rage at the fossil fuel industry. When others might be tempted to kind of take a step back and say, like, "Hey, maybe the problem's solved," you know, maybe Biden's got this, or like the solar panels seem pretty cool, like that E one hundred and fifty is going to save the day. Um, I'm there to remind you that uh, Exxon mobile and all those other guys are not fucking around, and they're still there, and they're still going to fight as hard as they can to maintain their stranglehold over our economy. Um, and I will be there, just as angry at them and wanting to take them down, um, till the bitter, bitter end. Beautiful. That seems pretty vital. Yeah,
0: that works. Uh, Jarrell, are you also uh, the Hulk basically?
2: I am not the Hulk. You would, I would be what you would consider maybe an encouraging engine in pretty much everything that I do. And so <laughs> folks, um, I won't compare myself to Olivia Pope, but they do hire me to, to come in and fix things a lot. Um, when it comes to making sure that we have campaigns that are successful how they're run technically usually folks will come to me to to make that happen um in terms of why you know why i'm vital to the uh survival of the species i would say again sort of referencing my son he's very uh much interested in the solar system and the more that i expand my knowledge on that the more i realize how insignificant we all are as humans however i will say that in be, being that encouraging engine the reason why encouraging is beyond is behind engine is I'm also known to be sort of that shoulder you can lean on. And so I get a lot of the, I'm that person in the office that everyone vents to and, uh, wants it to be discreet in terms of like, who's knowing what. Mm. And so you can, you can say that I'm, I'm, I know pretty much everything about every client that I've ever had. Uh, (laughs) and it's, Kind of I'm a whisperer in that sense where you can come to me and I can keep the train moving and you know that everything is okay.
0: I like that. That is a valuable skill. Yes. It's yeah, it's it's uh, a skill I didn't realize I had
2: until maybe a couple of years ago when someone was like, you know, this is your role in this organization now, right? right?" Like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Like that seems familiar actually.
0: I, I guess, though, and I'm thinking back to, like, Olivia Pope and Michael Clayton, like, at what point do the secrets become too much, Jarrell? Like, when, it, when <laughs> like, when are you just, uh, when is it dangerous?
2: There's nothing whiskey can't fix.
0: <laughs> that applies. I have tattooed on my <laughs> yeah, back. pretty much. Yeah, that, that's 100%. That's literally Brian's job. Um, awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, sharing all that. Um, so, yes. Here's why I want to have this conversation today and kind of where I hope we'll go with it. An increasing over the past couple of years, but fundamental premise of of our mission here is that these problems and the opportunities we're facing are on the whole systemic and designed to be that way. And they are so entrenched and unequally entrenched into our economies and our society. So to understand and then disassemble them and then to build new stuff requires this table stakes assumption that we have to attack them from every angle, right? And that's what you two are doing again, separately and, and together at times, um, because this isn't just about, and we saw this this week in, in courtrooms and, and and boardrooms, it's not just about the number of electric cars or buildings or gas lines in new buildings or closing oil wells and next to LA schools or the control burns we're not doing or educating girls, right? All the drawdown stuff, right? You guys are going right after their microphone. And I've worked in ads for better or worse. I understand how powerful they can be, but it's also not just ads, right? It's communications on all levels. Um, and that's why I try to make this point to folks. I'm so glad to see what you guys are doing. And and I think people are going to really get a lot from this conversation. If you work in PR or marketing or you're a copywriter you have a part to play here, right? To to muzzle the bad, to lift up the good. And so my goal is to really understand what you guys have have learned and how you're applying your specific backgrounds and skills to this unique but fundamental part of the problem, how our community can learn from you and also, again, specifically further enable your work. So let's get to this main question, right? Which is how do we cut fossil fuel communications <laughs> advertising off at the knees it's a full stack operation fossil fuel free media for, from everything i've gathered you guys have research and, and polling and talking points and artist networks and journalists and advocacy and you you produce media where where are you guys most effective what parts of the organization are most effective and also how do you have time to do all that because i'm just genuinely confused as to how that works
3: well maybe i can kick things off and then jerelle can can take it from there so, you know, maybe a little bit of background of where I was coming from will help kind of tell the story on sort of why we're going after please, it in, in this way. Um, so, Who you know, I you? I got started. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, in the beginning. Um, so, you know, I got involved in, Climate activism back in college, um, and then got pulled into what I thought was just going to be like a summer-long gig uh, causing trouble, and then I'd go get a real job. And like, here I am, fifteen years later. Um, but you know, I was one of the co-founders of 350.org, which was an international climate campaign that ran a lot of different protest movements and days of action and campaigns, you know, against the Keystone XL pipeline or fossil fuel divestment or big mobilizations like the People's Climate March. And what we were finding was that every single time we started a new campaign trying to raise awareness about climate change or promote climate legislation or talk about the need to divest from fossil fuels, along came this multi-million dollar PR effort to basically push us back and push us back into a box. Um, Every time we tried to make progress, you would see these incredibly well-funded air wars get launched in our direction and beat back the progress that we were trying to make. And so at the beginning of 2020, I left my full-time role at 350 and started Fossil Free Media with the eye towards how do we get better on our end of doing more effective communications? How do we learn from people like Jarrell, who've worked in that space, from you all, from artists, from creatives, to bring a kind of more sophisticated sense of what communications could look like for the environmental movement and for climate justice movement. But also, how do we throw a wrench in the gears of the other side's ability to keep putting out this propaganda? You know, the fossil fuel industry is one of the wealthiest industries in the history of the planet. You know, we are not going to be able to fight them dollar for dollar if it comes down to buying ads at the Super Bowl. I mean, they're going to be the ones buying the ads. And so the only way for us to truly compete is to do all of the good grassroots organizing that we're doing, but also find ways to actually inhibit their ability to put this propaganda out. And so that's where the kind of piece of clean creatives came about to say, let's try and strengthen all the good work that we do. But let's also, as you guys were saying, think systematically, but how do we disrupt the industry's own ability to work with PR people and creative people to put this misinformation out into the the ecosystem?
0: So what did you guys lead with, I guess, when this whole thing f- first started your way into it, like sort of building fossil f- fuel free media? Uh, you know, where do you start with producing your own stuff, getting other folks on board, uh, supplying materials? You know, w- where did you find the biggest traction getting, getting off, uh, off the bat?
3: You know, I think we started by really partnering with other organizations who were doing good work and seeing how we could amplify that. And that especially applies to kind of more frontline grassroots groups on the ground. Um, You know, I think some of the best work in the climate movement is happening at the grassroots. It is the indigenous leaders who are fighting the line three pipeline in Minnesota. It's the, crew in Memphis who's fighting the Bahalia pipeline that's going through there. But oftentimes those groups don't have the budget to produce a video or build a website or don't have the connections to a New York Times reporter who's never heard of them and is obsessed with what's happening in the Beltway and isn't paying attention to Northern Minnesota. So that's where we sort of find our role, which is trying to be that support system and also help people out. But honestly, you know, we're a small creative shop in some ways. And so none of that work is possible without actually teaming up with folks like Jarrell and the Hip Hop Caucus who are actually out there campaigning, organizing people, putting out media. Um, which is why when this Clean Creatives thing was getting started, we were like, huh, you know, a couple guys with laptops like sitting in their basement, you know, isn't going to make this happen. Like we actually yeah. have to partner with organizations who have experience and have a base and are able to get messages sure. out there. Um, so it was awesome early on making that connection and saying like, hey, maybe this is a problem. We can tackle together and find a way to put together a coalition of groups who are willing to kind of take this challenge of fossil fuel PR and advertising on.
0: Uh, Jarrell, I'm not sure how long you've been with Hip Hop Caucus. It feels like Reverend Yearwood has been saying climate justice is racial justice forever. How did you find your way into this? And and what are your, again, besides Michael Clayton, Olivia Pope being the office secret person, which I'm also, I side conversation. How does that work in a world of zoom? Different conversation. Uh, how did you find your way in and like, where, where are you finding yourself most effective in, in sort of this particular campaign?
2: So I found my way. Well, I've had a, I have a dark past in terms of how I got into the climate movement. Um, Please, and so I moved to, to DC in, in about 2010, and I was a graduate student at Georgetown, uh, while I was there, someone who worked for Edelman was one of my professors, and they mentioned that I would be really good in their public affairs practice. And I was thinking about it, and I said, okay, that sounds good. Um, and so I started there, working in their um, public affairs office as an intern. Um, they had a growing energy and transportation team. Um, you can imagine the clients that were a part of that team. But they said they had a need for someone to staff... A multicultural issue that they had with one of their automotive clients, and it was a full time job. And I was like, okay, that that sounds great. Let's do that. Um, I then mm-hmm. learned that that also came with the responsibility to manage accounts for some trade associations in energy and oil, um, as well as some some big oil clients that uh, Edelman has on their rolodex, which we can get into a little bit later. But yeah, you know. As an intern, I had a pretty good grasp on Edelman's like markets and energy practices and what they deemed critical. Those markets were pretty similar to where I grew up, the Youngstown area in Ohio, Allegheny County area in, in Pennsylvania, uh, which includes Pittsburgh. And we kept pushing you know, messages about economic stability and jobs, 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 which seemed like, you know, and also some messages that seemed like a nod to energy efficiency at the time. Um, so I initially thought, and I think what uh, Jamie picked up on as we were creating this campaign is that there are a ton of creatives in that space that feel like with the sustainability work that they're actually doing good, but they don't really talk about the other side of the work, which is a trained skill. And it's our job as communicators to tell that story that serves the interests of the clients. What we don't say is the the greenwashing, which we'll also get into later. Um that the fossil fuel industry is notorious for, um, given that their highest priority uh, is not saving the planet. Their highest priority is profit, right? Our team was pretty good at Edelman for getting in front of the national story and kind of ignoring or dispelling narratives that Jamie and team were were putting out in 2011 and 2012. And so in not repeating the oppressors talking points, right, we were able to serve these, these, uh, these narratives to communities that wanted a sense of hope and wanted a sense of economic prosperity. After a while, once I'd fully realized exactly what I was doing in that moment as a 22, 23-year-old PR practitioner, right, I immediately got out and did some soul searching. Uh, It took me a while to get to Hip Hop Caucus, but a few years before Hip Hop Caucus, I opened a brand agency which represented all types of progressive nonprofits and ended up landing a partnership with a uh, platform called Action Network, which I became one of their preferred partners. Hip Hop Caucus was, a, one of, was one of the accounts that Action Network had that reached out to me to do a web design, which is how I was introduced to Hip Hop Caucus. Worked there for, or worked with them, I should say, uh, for about two years before they opened up a position for a digital director, uh, which I then started there September last year. I was introduced to Jamie, I think a month later, maybe three weeks into the job. Um, and they talked about this campaign. And I was like, hmm, I think I might be the person you're trying to reach. <laughs> um, and I know about 20 other people that you might want to talk to. And so that's sure. uh, essentially full circle how I went from uh, essentially being the, the oil tycoon's mouthpiece to yeah. now trying to shut it down.
0: But that's why it works, right? I mean, we've had so many conversations here. I mean, we've had conversations with, uh, I, I mean, I'm like a pagan atheist monster, but I was a religion major. And so we've had on uh, reverends and and uh, folks who work with uh, Buddhists and Hindus talking about monsoons in India, whatever it might be. And when we get to action steps, a lot of time, they're like, get out of the way and let us do our job, support us, whether it's contributions, whatever it be, because the messenger matters, right? Right. And for for the messenger to be most effective, they need to be part of that community, and it and that is the best way to build something that is empathetic and and is effective is to immediately, like you said, you're like that's me, like I'm that guy. The the people you're trying to reach, like to tell, like stop doing this thing. That's me, and and I imagine that has gone a long way to being. Uh, I don't want to put it all on your shoulders, Joel, but I imagine it's been, been a huge part of like, how do we really position this thing to reach these people and convince them to stop ruining everything effectively?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think back to one of the op-eds I wrote while I was at Edelman and it was just to give you a sense of how maniacal this, this system is. Um, it was a, it came out around black Friday and think, you know, call of duty when it was very popular back in what, 2012 ish, There was a scenario in Call of Duty where a Cold War was brewing between China and the United States. And it started by a um, a ban on Chinese exports of rare earth minerals. Right. It took a scenario that was from a popular game during Black Friday, a time when everybody was searching for Call of Duty, a scenario where the United States needed to invest in this minerals mining from a sense of energy independence Think about, you know, the elections happening that year because it's 2012. They're trying to get President Obama out of the White House. And what happened with, and you can probably imagine who the, uh, the client was that paid for the set op-ed um, about mining and minerals. That op-ed did three things, right? It ignored all, like, catastrophic consequences that, like, come from what NMA and its, part and its members have on Earth. It also intentionally, it omitted the fact that all of these solutions that they have for economic prosperity and being energy independent ignored all of the consequences that come to Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities as a result of their said innovation, right? Um, but it also used, the third thing that it did was it used elements of pop culture, right, to convince folks that this is something that we are supposed to do because in and their, in and essentially inundating it in like children, like, oh, look, this Call of Duty game even speaks to what we should be doing as a nation. It was probably one of my most successful op-eds, but it was also something that I should say, let me rephrase. It was one of my most successful op-eds at Edelman, but it was also something that gives you an example of without even referencing, you know, any of Jamie's campaigns, they were able to get this in the Wall Street Journal that like, push this narrative that continues to to sort of wreak havoc with, with folks like me who felt excited about like, you know, being able to bridge the gap between pop culture and, and what we were working on um, without even realizing how much damage that narrative did and still does to the work that we all do to try to stop the climate crisis. Wow. That's <laughs> wild.
0: That's wild. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. That's, I mean, We've all done work for big corporations and, and this and that, and everyone, uh, they're all in the process of, or at least at some point now they're aware that they're going to have to start doing things like measuring their footprints, and that is, holy hell, is it is it complicated, um, you know? And I mean, clean clear creatives, right? You're essentially going to these folks like yourself or even folks that are a few degrees further, right? They're not directly writing op-eds, right, for Edelman or whoever it might be. And you're saying, look, you wouldn't work on tobacco, right? It's 2021. Why would you do this, right? Fossil fuel is that, It's but worse. It is, like you said, it is this greenwashing, which is so prevalent and so just such a huge part of our society. And I love this Quote from your website, which uh, the biggest part of any creative company's carbon footprint is the work you do for your clients, right? And it's just like the the Bloomberg had the recent article saying that um, uh, uh, bank's biggest uh, carbon footprint is is the uh, the loans they make, right? It's oh, it's yeah. not uh, these enormous buildings that they're in. We need to electrify. It's something like they're seventy times uh, as impactful. These these loans that they're making. It's not just about solar on the roof of of some data center, right? That's that's your scope. That's the easy shit for these companies to do. When you're like, Apple's 100% renewable, it's like, great, that's a bunch of data centers and, and shops and stuff. I'm sure that was expensive, but it's nothing compared to Apple or IKEA looking at their scope three emissions and going like, holy shit, what are we going to do about this? But they've also got to sell it, right? They've got to find a way to keep selling these things that they're building, even if it's stuff we love, Apple devices or IKEA Billy bookshelves or whatever it might be, or much worse. Right. Um, and that comes down to people. And and like you said, you're just, you're like this 22, 23 year old kid, like trying to make your way and build your way up. And you're like, I've got these skills. I can talk. We're, it's very easy without a campaign like this for, for those of us to, to ignore, uh, in a way, uh, what we're doing to to just get paid and, and try to make it, especially folks of your age, Jarrell, who came up after two thousand eight, two thousand nine exploded. I mean, the fact that you can get a job in two thousand twelve is amazing because a lot of people couldn't, right? And now the same generation's been through the same stuff. You can't buy a house, can't have kids, yada yada. So it's 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 understandable to an extent. Do you guys? What does the pushback look like from folks that are out there of your age or folks that are? boomers that have been doing this forever and that are partners at some of these firms. How What does the pushback look like? It, and how do you work to overcome some of those things? Because I imagine some of these accounts are still huge.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's interesting because for many years, the fossil fuel industry really was funding climate denial. I mean, their strategy was very much to say, this problem isn't real. You know, the science isn't in, it's getting colder, there's going to be another ice age. And to be clear, folks like Edelman did some of that work for clients like the American Petroleum Institute. But I think over the last decade, things have shifted. um, And it's become even more insidious, and in some ways, even more dangerous, which is, there are very few energy companies right now that are actually denying that climate change is real. In fact, when you go to Shell's website or Exxon's website, they say, we believe climate change is real, and we're dedicated to solving the problem. Uh, We're committed to net zero. And so, you know, in in many ways, that greenwashing that Jarrell was talking about has become an even greater threat than climate denial was. Climate denial is easy to pick out. You say, oh, you need to stop lying about the problem, but telling someone hey, actually your company really isn't doing what they say they're doing, or maybe isn't as committed as you make it out to, is a little bit more nuanced. And I think that there are actually people still within the advertising industry that think, hey, we're doing a good thing. Like when I redesign BP's name and logo from British Petroleum to Beyond Petroleum, and I make it look like a green sunflower, like that's helping BP become a clean energy company. Lo and behold, 99% of BP's investments are still going into oil and gas development. Sure. But Whereas ninety nine percent nailed it, we're killing it, and ninety nine percent of our advertising is saying we are built solar panels and wind turbines. And so I think what people who are there need to understand is that their intentions might be in the right place; they truly might care about transforming these companies. But if you're engaged in greenwashing one of these companies, what you're in effect doing is allowing them to continue to operate business as usual and hold back the type of government regulation and public pressure that would actually force them to change. Right now, the fossil fuel industry is just trying to buy itself time. You know, like They know the transition's coming, but they're trying to get as much coal, oil, and gas out of the ground before they get shut down as they can. And so all of these campaigns are kind of designed to be a stalling tactic or a tactic to try and get things like gas into clean energy packages by pretending that it's some green fuel and ignoring all of the methane emissions and everything else. And so I think it's important, you know, one of the reasons we called it clean creatives versus like ban fossil fuel ads (laughs) was to try and appeal to people to say like, hey, look, like you're probably, you probably want to do the right thing. Like you might be, you know, just have this job and get pulled in. You're not really our target. We actually want to recruit you to help you transform the industry that you're a part of. You know, we know that you're not making the decision to go take the American Petroleum Institute account. That's Richard Edelman. That's the CEO. But if you work at that company, you actually have an incredible platform to try and transform that company and transform our industry to get them on the right side of this fight. Because we need people like Jarrell. I mean, we need people who have these talents to come in. Like Who've been there. activists, I hate to say it. Yeah. Activists like aren't always the best ad people. Like we just say things like we tend to talk at length as you can hear me doing right now. Like we just rant and rave and like hold our signs that say a million things on it. You know, we need people that know how to like make slogans and make ads and be catchy or we're just not going to win this fight.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, I think back to, you know, the folks and I have a number of friends uh, who, really tried hard to stick it out for the first couple years of the Trump administration going like, I understand why you want me to quit. And I totally understand why a lot of people are quitting. I think I can do the best work from the inside to try to change things, however ineffective that may have been in the long run. Right. And it's the same thing. And now, you know, it's getting more complicated, you know, when you look at what happened in those boardrooms, because where uh, divestment is so popular, uh, you know whether it's on your individual level through. I mean, we had a whole conversation with with uh, Boris Kentov over Betterment and this incredibly detailed and thoughtful divestment plan that they've built for their climate portfolio, right? And him talking about how hard that really is to define, but at the same time, you've got groups that actively go, "I'm still a shareholder. I know what the problem is, and I think I can make a difference from the inside." And then you see shit like this go, and this weekend, like, that, it's not the game changer. It's not going to change everything. Exxon's not like, building solar panels in your backyard tomorrow. But that's way more progress than we've had. And so it's really interesting. But I, I think, of course, advertising is more complicated because, again, you, you, you Jarrell, did not take this account. Like you said, Edelman takes this account, and your job is to, to do an excellent job of telling this message for this account. I've, I've, I've been there. I get it. But... But it's it's a little more complicated there, like where you said, we need to con- convert these folks. But th- the point remains, like you said, climate denialism is so easy, but we're past that fight now. And greenwashing is is so much more complicated it, than it really ever has been, right? Because now we're getting into misinformation and, and disinformation.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that actually a little bit. I remember seeing the first, the first time I saw that commercial and it was like beautiful images of Earth and nature and, you know, how much we got to take care of the planet. And then the fucking BP logo came up after that. I, I out loud was like, what the fuck? That was crazy. Uh, uh, but yeah, so, you know, obviously, you know, misinformation, disinformation been around forever, but they've never had the scaling abilities that, that they do now, right? And the tech companies in control of, of these platforms seem at best r- reluctant or just unable to to manage the flood of really dangerously, you know, untrue information. So, what role do do you guys have in in fighting on that front? How, how would you and how do you, you know, specifically support legislation to to rein these companies in? It's a good question
3: because it's a big problem. Uh, I'll I'll take a stab and then I'll hand it over to Jarell. Um, so. You know, look, there's a number of ways to try and go after this problem. Um, first is trying to obviously disrupt the ability of the industry to make all of this advertising and to run it in highly effective ways. And that means cutting them off from the talented folks at places like BBDO or Edelman or uh, GSDM, these other firms. Second, I think, is actually really going to the platforms where all of this advertising is moving and trying to push for changes there Facebook, Twitter all these places say they're very committed to climate action. They even have a climate information, you know, page on Facebook. But at the same time, they're allowing all of this misinformation and propaganda to flow across their platform to the point where actually during the election, Facebook put a ban on political advertising, which included all the different NGOs and organizations working on climate change. So the Hip Hop Caucus or 350.org couldn't put up a Facebook ad, but they allowed all the corporations... To keep putting ads so for six months you had the fossil fuel industry running advertising that was very much political in nature of course but you didn't allow the environmental groups to do the same thing so that's just one example i think of how these platforms have tilted themselves in favor of big corporations and we're actually really pushing hard twitter and others to say just ban fossil fuel advertising just like you wouldn't advertise something that's dangerous like guns or tobacco on your website where they do have policies you should include oil gas and coal More people are dying from air pollution, from fossil fuels than from cigarettes right now. But you still allow these people to kind of push their product as if it's green. And then the third piece you mentioned is is actual legislation and regulation. You know, the US is far behind on this. Uh, Over in the UK, a organization called Client Earth actually brought a lawsuit to the kind of UK equivalent of the FTC, their regulatory body that looks at advertising. And they were able to get that agency to, to stop bp from running ads that pretended that bp was like a renewable energy company uh because they said look your investments don't line up with your advertising this is false advertising um so there's a couple of interesting cases that are moving at the ftc level and at the state level to try and challenge the industry on the same front finally you know we want congress to take action on this like you know the fossil fuel industry and these pr campaigns is perhaps the greatest barrier to climate progress and passing climate legislation. So that's exactly the type of thing that the House Oversight Committee that senators should be looking into. And we think that they shouldn't just be pulling the CEOs of ExxonMobil and Shell to come testify. Call up the CEOs of these ad companies. Because guess what? You know, if a senator calls up the CEO of an ad industry, those ad guys will suddenly realize, hey, wait, this is bad PR. Like, I don't want to be being pulled before Congress sure. to defend my ties to the big bad oil industry. You know, better for me to go work with Ford on their clean cars. So, I, I think we're at this tipping point where actually, if we can apply a little bit of pressure because of the way the economy is moving, you're going to see a lot of people peel off and just look at the facts and say, look, the future is in clean energy. I don't want to be doing the advertising and PR for these fossil fuel giants of the past.
0: Jarrell, I'm curious. I mean, all of us knows, again, especially if you've worked in advertising and marketing, it's like stories are what get the job done. P- statistics just don't move people yep. as much as they should. And yet we have so much information and literally more every day. It's like I, I how much I can put in the newsletter for every week about what air pollution does to people, to... Black kids in LA who have oil wells next to their houses and their schools and their bedrooms so it doesn't cool down and they have asthma rates twice the national average, right? Twice white kids. Or how 70% of Black Americans live within 30 miles of a coal plant. Or look at Cancer Alley, right? And, and all the kids people and it's like, oh, well, uh, electrify cars, it's fine. They'll just do plastic and they'll make it in these refineries and continue to kill people. But we've also got stuff like, I mean, these, look, I'm 45 minutes from Richmond, like one of the most redlined communities in America, historically, where there's just parts of the city with no trees, and that's not necessarily on the fossil fuel companies, but part of that is because we build highways to cut the city in half, and we build highways for cars, which is oil companies. I mean, you read the history of Los Angeles, and you're just like, oh my god, it was full of trains at one point. Where does we have all these statistics, and and so many of them are are about the marginalized communities that have suffered and continue to suffer, and especially suffer more now as it's getting hotter. Do these statistics? Work when Hip Hop Caucus is taking on these issues like urban heat islands, or is it about storytelling? Like, where does someone with your skill set, that's clearly valued by a lot of people, where are you most effective?
2: Uh, I would say, you know, it, it really just depends on the audience, and I know that's a, a very typical answer. I think coming from from someone in communications, but ha-
0: but that's where the skill set is, though, is knowing that in the right. first place, so- right?
2: I mean, in all instances, storytelling is going to do uh, is going to be the most effective way to to attack the issue. Um, but I would think about it in in this sense, as Jamie mentioned earlier, uh, with the work that we're doing in Memphis um, around the behavior pipeline. We have, you know, a former NBA player, a community activist, and a DJ coming together for a community event that brings together the community, but it also, in a tagline that Hip Hop Caucus says a lot, we're good in the streets and the suites. We have to bring the streets together with the folks who write legislation to say, this is the problem and we're going to present it to you in a way that makes you listen to folks who are most affected by it so that we can create a solution that not only brings the that improves the health and wealth of their communities, from an economic and environmental perspective, while also making sure that across the board, we are meeting the scientific goals set forth in terms of emissions and carbon and so forth. And the way that we do that is by having the, we have to have someone in the loop who knows the science. I think that's that that would be a misstep to not include that person, but we also know that that isn't what is the most impactful story. Having that person though allows um, the folks that we want to pay attention ie the media i.e the folks in Congress and in the administration say that you know this is a problem we identified we mean business and this is how we solve it. Um, the storytelling comes in when you know you take some of that that data-driven um, work and put someone in front of who's experienced that day to day. One of the I would say, and this is kind of out of the climate realm, but we do have uh, the June, the Tulsa Centennial coming up on Monday. And as you can probably notice, like the, uh, the main thing every media outlet is highlighting is uh, Viola Fletcher, who is one of the last living um, survivors of the Tulsa massacre. Why are we highlighting Viola as opposed to highlighting, you know, the Watchmen or Lovecraft Country or all of these other pop culture references to Tulsa? It's because she has a story that she wants to tell and she's still fighting. She's had to relive this massacre every day of her life since 100 years ago. Who better to be, you know, a spokesperson for how you create change, not only in Tulsa, but every community that looks like Tulsa across the country. I think if the climate movement does a lot more of that storytelling, we will be a lot more successful Sooner than we think in terms of not only solving the climate crisis, but preventing the fossil fuel industry from creating another crisis using um, any other substance that they can find. I, I think someone mentioned plastics earlier uh, in terms of moving to something that we know is just as detrimental.
0: That makes sense. Wow. That makes sense. And, and, you know, and of course, Americans, you know, she again is. It's incredible to have. Still have a, a survivor like that around, but America does a really good job of moving on from things very quickly, clearly. And and uh, you know it's like we look around and there's there are no there are so few World War Two survivors left, and people whose gut instinct it's the it's the Buzz Aldrin thing, right? Always punch a Nazi. It's like th- that that was a mindset for a long time, and and now you see how many countries are uh, you know just a electing autocrats left and right because we we forget very easily and, and we all know we're obviously terrible about paying our debts. So I hope that she is able to tell her story and that is, a, and that that is effective because uh, the Tulsa doesn't happen every day, but we've been doing it in a variation for, for 400 years now. What are the biggest obstacles you guys are running into? Are you having more success with small shops, with these big shops that are more exposed to the PR issues that Jamie mentioned? I'm just curious as, again, we're trying to focus people on like, hey, where can you most make a difference? Is it in their little six-person shop that's doing boutique work? How, how Where where are you guys having the most success and the most trouble?
3: I think we're definitely having the most success with smaller shops coming on board um, and, and really mid-range ones as well. And that's hugely important. So if folks are listening to this and you have a creative agency or you know someone who works in one, uh, there's a pledge on cleancreatives.org that basically just says, we're not going to work with the fossil fuel with fossil fuel companies or their trade associations or front groups and that will get you involved in the campaign and then we'd love to Actually, really work with people. Like we want to make this a creative campaign to change the industry. We also have a pledge for individual creatives. Um, so even if someone isn't working in an agency, or you're like, I'll sign on, but my <laughs> boss won't sign sure. on. Um, we we still we actually want you even more because I think sure. that that sort of employee organizing inside of those companies is super important. Sure. And finally, we have a pledge for for clients as well. Like we're signing up a lot of clients to say, hey, if I'm R- Rivian and making electric cars, like, why would I want to hire a PR agency that's also working for ExxonMobil? You know, those things are at cross purposes. Um, and again, it's worth remembering that if we can get someone like Unilever, say, sure. who has a climate commitment, Unilever does $8 billion with a B of advertising every year. That's far more than the fossil fuel industry does. So if a, someone like Unilever, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> called up WPP, their agency, and said, yo, you're going to lose our business. If you keep promoting climate denial, that would really help flip the switch. Um, I think the challenge we're running into is just what we've been talking about, that there's still this mindset in sort of an older class of admittedly, mostly white men who run these agencies that they somehow need to keep working with the American Petroleum Institute. They're stuck in this old mindset of what the economy Looks like. And these are the prestigious clients is like winning Exxon Mobil's bid. Clearly, that's shifting. Like we just saw that at the shareholder meeting where people basically gave the middle finger to Exxon's board. Sure. This economy is changing. And I think that that's the case we're trying to make that even those kind of dinosaur CEOs is like, hey, look, if you want to be a modern agency that can attract talent and get people excited and get brands excited about hiring you, you need to actually make the shift. Um, so we're hoping that this year we're able to pick off a couple of big ones um, because, you know, the advertising industry, just like a lot of industries, is so consolidated now that if we can get someone like Edelman or WPP to, to switch, it will pull the entire industry with it. And again, I guess our appeal to those people is they have a huge role to play. And um, you know, if they make that commitment, they'll be on the right side of history here and be part of telling the story of, you know, the greatest transformation that humanity has arguably ever gone through. They they should be the ones to help make us make that happen, not sort of defend the status quo, which is pulling our planet <laughs> off the entire fucking cliff. Sure, sure, oh, we sure. don't want to it- do that. Okay, got, <laughs> it, got it, for- it, got it, got
1: it. Hey, I know we've been we've we've kept you guys uh, uh for a little bit here. I want to make sure that we can get into action steps uh, because that's like our whole jam. Uh, before before uh anybody has to go. So when when people find your organizations and your campaigns, you know what what are most people Coming to you for you know, and where and where would you encourage people to start? And you know, I don't just mean like a, this is a call for uh, you know ad, account managers or, or copywriters, but anyone who is in you know any position to require research and talking points uh, about climate, uh, what can they do? How, how can they help?
3: I'll jump in first, <laughs> Jarrell, We're both like oh, go. Um, so I would just say uh, you know on the. On the resources side, um, if folks are looking for, if you have a creative talent to bring, you know we would love to help pair you with grassroots groups on the ground who really could benefit from those. And so either at Fossil Free Media, which is really the larger work we're doing to support the movement, or at Clean Creatives working on that campaign in particular, we would love to plug you in. And we actually have a really great community of creatives who are helping advise. How do we reach out to the industry? What should our ads look like? What should our graphics look like? How do we do social media outreach? So we want to put your skills to work. Mm-hmm. Like we need it. We need way more better like climate songs. <laughs> like we were talking about music. like I'm I'm writing stuff on my ukulele. It's not cutting it. Like we Jarell, need better music. What about so like come an alto and join sex? us. <laughs> Jarrell owes us a climate song. That's oh that's God. the takeaway. Just
0: an instrumental <laughs> album of climate awesome. songs. I awesome. am so here for.
3: I do,
2: I do.
0: Um, Jarrell, what about um, folks that haven't been converted yet, but you can still see the good in them? Where, uh, what's your attack point to get these folks on board?
2: Yeah, I will say, and you know, I'm going to I'm going to send this episode to many of the folks that I'm going to call out. And so I hope you're listening. But the folks who have told me that they're super committed to it, but just can't say it publicly. I need you to say it publicly. I know that you have everything that it takes to commit to what we are putting forth at Clean Creatives. I know that the work that you are doing within your organizations and within your firms has shifted and it's going to continue to shift um, regardless of the decision makers within your firms. And I think now is the time to be bold about it. We we find ourselves very much so making sure that We're saying the right things at the right times, the right people so that we don't um, have our own sort of internal or individual PR failures. I think having the know with all to know when you're on the right side of history is going to be important and critical in 2021 as we move forward and move away from all of the uh, work that we do within the agencies. One of the highest, I would say, highest priorities for for any creative right now is to to make sure that morally you are doing what you can to save the world around you, especially if you're contributing to the future generation by either adopting or having children, by teaching the next generation about any uh, actions that you can put forth. And if you know anyone that I don't know outside of our orbit, recruit them too. The website is cleancreatives.org and we want everyone who is committed to this work uh, to be a part of it. God, that is so awesome. I love that.
0: There there are so many people out there that, that say they want to do this thing and it's time. Uh, you know, we, we we can't keep hiding. Thank you guys. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, we're going to put it all in the show notes, uh, of course. Last few questions we ask everybody and also side note, and I'll email you both about this in the follow-up. If you have any other recommendations for awesome world-changing folks, that you feel like we should have on the show, uh, we love recommendations. Uh, that's where we yep. get some of our best ones. Last few questions for you both. First time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful?
3: Oh man! Well, the first one that came to the first one that came to mind was. Uh, we were trying to, in college fighting a, uh, a, a paper mill that was going to burn tires for power, which was like this terribly polluting thing. And I remember we 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 had a smoke machine from a college party that we'd thrown. So we dragged the smoke machine in front of the the one of the companies that was buying the paper, and we just emitted all of the smoke. Like they had to call the fire department. It was kind of a disaster, but they stopped the contract with the paper Whoa. mill, and the paper mill decided not to burn tires. So. Another example of you might have some party equipment or some gear you never that you can know put what you you're doing activism That's great. and uh, make a change.
0: I, I like that Jarell spent so long explaining his like the dark part of his life story. And you're like, listen, we threw a rager once and we got a we rented a smoke machine and it turned out hell yeah, man. Awesome. Uh, Jor-El, what about you, my friend?
2: Yeah, I would say so. And this isn't anything that I I did personally. My father, uh, unfortunately, was a victim of police brutality some time ago. Ended up getting, like, beaten in our front yard, dragged to the police station, and had to walk home about a mile and a half, like, naked after being held at the cell for, like, 36 hours. Uh, This is, like, in 2002. We didn't have cell phones at the time, so we had no idea where he was. But as a result of all that, maybe, like, 18 months later, we won a settlement against the city for about $18 million. And then... Um, worked with the legis- the legislators in the city to create changes to the police department to make sure that that doesn't happen to any other person. This was before, this was between like Rodney King and Trayvon Martin, so there wasn't sure. a lot of like media attention on it, but it was a time that like the local media was pretty much at oh. our house every day. We had PR people coming to our house every day, lawyers trying to win the business and all of that. And I think throughout... All Seeing all that, I realized that like the only way, like you kind of need this type of machine to actually make an effective, uh to, to be effective, I should say, in any sort of campaign for justice. And so seeing that, and I, I was about 13 or 14 at the time, I think seeing that at that moment kind of shifted pretty much how I looked at everything in life. It was like either either we're going toward liberation or we're going toward our death. And so that's kind of how I frame like everything wow. that I work on. That's
0: wild. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Who is someone who is, uh, needs to get me more coffee, uh, positively impacted your work in the past six months?
3: Absolutely. Hands down, Reverend, you Yeah. Martin I Hall. mean, Rev's always a good answer to that question. Uh, and I'll shout out, um, I'll shout out Amy Westervelt, whose podcast, uh, The Mad Men of Climate Denial, was like Mind-like. the informative doc, like you have to listen to it. It's incredible. Amy and Mary are and it coming widely- on the show next week. Yes, well, it is like listen to that episode because that that investigation was basically why we launched this campaign and has informed so much of what we do and they are just incredible, and you should subscribe to their their email, their podcast, anything they do, anything they do uh so they've been amazing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome It's truly um you know it's easy to joke about uh you know like Mary's shit posting uh which just everyone has joined in on, but it but it matters, you know it's a it's effective. To, to stand up to these people, even then, because if we're going to have these, these viral and targeted capabilities, then we have to turn them on them. And, and she's incredible. And the, what Amy's built over there is just mind-boggling. It's, it's awesome. That, that's great. Uh, Brian, take us home here. We'll get them out of here.
1: Of course. Yeah, guys, uh, we always love this question. It's, a, it's a, such, a, such a good, important one, I think, uh, especially when you're dealing with and handling all the stuff you guys handle. What, what is your self-care? What do you do when it's a time for you, to, you know, to take care of you?
0: Jamie's just laughing. Do you not yeah, have any? Yeah, is like, that what a two month a, old is?
3: I was like, wait, being <laughs> yeah, up with um. my two month like, old Do I have, a a m? M do I have that?
0: <laughs> Are you just asking like progressively darker questions in your head? Like, what I know, is the, u-
3: the ukulele? Isn't really the instrument to let out the, the tension. <laughs> yeah, how I feel. hard can you go on a ukulele? No, not that hard. Huh? Yeah, you can, you, <laughs> you can go pretty hard. I love getting outside. I, I I love you know I'm I getting out in the woods, going for a trail run, getting away from all of this stuff and social media and everything. I think we have to. We have to clear our minds and give ourselves a space to be creative, and so that uh, that recharging the battery is really important for me.
0: Awesome, Terrell.
2: Yeah, that space for me exists in the studio. So, in addition to alto sex, I have a trombone up there, and also have a keyboard, (sighs) like an ADA keyboard upstairs. That like I spend way too much time in in my free time, but that is kind of where I zone out and create and continue to like center myself
0: I love that that's awesome uh, last one Brian then they're out of here uh, and then we'll get you let you go for real
1: we we have a really great um, uh, list of books uh, that we've put together recommendations from uh, from all of our podcast guests uh, that we'd love to add uh, your recommendations to what's a book that you've read this year maybe that has um, you know maybe opened up your mind to a topic that you haven't considered before or, or changed your thinking in some way, something that
3: was really, really uh, effective. I would go, I'm, I'm going to list two. I'm cheating. Uh, Please. I would say <laughs> that feels right uh, for you. a no, yeah, you know, a novel, uh, The Cold Millions by uh, Jess Walter, okay. I think, but it's about sort of labor struggles in Spokane, Washington mm. back at the turn of the century. And it's a good like novel, but also organizing read. And second, I always revisit the bully pulpit because I think it tells the story of how journalists worked with government to actually take down big oil. Uh, They busted up Standard Oil and shut them down. And so I think we have that ability today. And that's always good to kind of go back and and think about how that got done.
0: Awesome. Jarrell, you can say sheet music if you want. It's fine. We know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to mention one book and one book because it's the only book that I read this year, which is. it's called "All Boys Aren't Blue." It's by uh, George Johnson, and it's essentially exploring uh, masculinity in the 21st century and how we've navigated that from uh, being raised by boomers to now being raised in the society in which we live. Now, it's a pretty interesting read. Awesome! Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'll definitely
0: get into that, guys. This is fantastic. Where can our listeners uh, follow the campaign and you guys online?
3: uh cleancreatives.org is where you can catch it out and that's the same for all the social media and then i'm over at jamie climate just shouting invective and <laughs> shouting
2: into the
0: void at three in the morning perfect
2: <laughs>
3: shouting into the perfect
0: board. uh awesome. drill twitter handles uh stage dates you know yeah
2: i'll also <laughs> i'll shout out uh hip-hop caucus you can follow hip-hop caucus everywhere um hip-hop caucus just spelled out just like that personal uh handles i'll, I'll leave personal because it's it's uh, I don't use them for work purposes, but if you want to follow all of the music and the kids and and all of that, you can reach me at uh, Jarrell J-R-E-L Clay, pretty much everywhere except for Twitter. That's I go by J, which I do not go by J. It's a college <laughs> joke that has just lingered for the it's past. Very 12. confusing, Jarrell.
0: Perfect um awesome that's great well if you want to follow brian you can't because every three months he changes the actual letters in his uh handle instead of the name so it breaks everything you might be able to tell it's very frustrating for quinn um gentlemen can't thank you enough for your time today everything you're doing on this very specific very impactful fight fights you guys are doing so much so thank you for your time today uh thank you for all of that and um yeah we'll we'll connect again soon let's uh keep kicking some ass Sounds good. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species.
1: And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at Important Not Imp.
0: Uh, just so weird.
1: Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com.
0: Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jam and music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, guys.